0: The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Awesome. Well, hey, as, uh, as we get started this morning, as we get into our message, I, I want you all, we're going to start off with a question that I just want you guys to consider, okay? And, and the question is this, uh, what do you feel like you need right now? Okay, what do you feel like you need right now? And, and I want you to answer that. Like, like Don't answer it like you're sitting in church. Like, Jesus. Okay, good. Yes, you do. Okay, that's good. But, but, but answer it like you would if you're like in a car or in your restaurant. Just like in any other circumstance. What do you feel like you need right now? And I just think on that. You don't have to say it out loud. You can if you want. Uh, but if you don't know people next to you, that's, that's quite all right. It's a bit of an intense question. But what do you feel like you need right now? I just think on that. And I don't know what all your answers are, all right, but I would bet, oh boy, getting over a cold, uh, I would bet that there's a, a variety of different answers in this room, right, that for some of you, what you feel you need right now is, is probably pretty serious. That maybe it's, hey, I, I need to get healthy, or I need someone I love to get healthy, or I need a job, or I need some money, or I really need a friend, I need some relationships in my life. And for some of you, maybe it's less serious, like you know, I just really need a donut right now, right? Or, or, or I really need for this school year to be over or for my fellow parents of young children, I just really need a nap always, all the time, right? Or coffee, whichever we can get, okay? Uh, and so, so we, we may all have like different answers to that question, what do you feel you need right now? But, but the bottom line is this, I would bet that most of us, what we feel we need right now is a change in circumstance. That most of us would say, hey, what I feel I need is a change of circumstance. But what we're going to see in our text today is that what you need most in the world is not a change in circumstance. Because if you think about it, the reality is, even if you have ideal circumstances, even if everything is set up the way you think it's supposed to be, everything's set up the way you would want it to be, even if you have ideal circumstances, you can still wreck your life right? Just watch TMZ, right? Celebrities, they got success, they got money, they're good-looking, right? They got everything going for them, and they are generally a mess, right? Look at Washington, D.C. They got power, they got influence, they got a lot going for them, and they're generally a mess. And so ideal circumstances is now what we need most. What we need most is the ability to flourish despite our circumstances. Okay, hear that again. What we need most is the ability to flourish despite our circumstances. And for that, we need wisdom. We need wisdom. And this is what is going on in our text for today. We've been in a series for, for several weeks now. We've only got one week left, and we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we've called this series The Good Life. Because Ecclesiastes is about teaching us to live wise lives, teaching us how we can navigate life well. And in our text for today, the, the author of Ecclesiastes, he calls himself Koheleth. Uh, he really hones in on this idea of being able to flourish in whatever circumstance we're in. And so sort of the, the governing verse for the section of the text that we just read is, is verse 14. So I just want to read that for us again real quick. So just look at it with me. It says this, In the day of prosperity... Be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. And so, this verse is kind of the, the theme verse of the section. It basically says, Hey, when things are going well, when you're happy, then celebrate. That's awesome. Be joyful. That's a good thing. And he says, Hey, when the chips are down, when things aren't going well, then consider. Consider that God has made this day that he is in control of all circumstances. And so if we get this verse kind of seared away in the back of our heads, then we'll just, we're going to plow through the rest of the verses with this in the back of our heads. And what we're going to see is this text teaches us how to have wisdom in three circumstances. How to have wisdom in suffering, how to have wisdom in prosperity, and how to have wisdom in moral situations. Okay, Wisdom in suffering wisdom in prosperity, and wisdom in morality. Okay, so let's get going. Uh, Wisdom in suffering. If you guys look with me at verses 1 to 4, it says this. A good name is better than precious ointment, in the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. But the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. All right, so I don't know if you noticed, but this text is like, that section of verse is kind of weird, right? Like, he's, he's kind of paradoxical here. Uh, Kohel, seems a little bit masochistic here. Like, it's, it's, it's really messed up, right? I mean, did you notice he says, death is better than birth. He says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. He says, sorrow is better than gladness, better than laughter. What is the deal? What is he talking about? Right? Like, this is crazy. Well, verse four here points out, it's kind of the, helps us understand the three verses before it. And what he says in verse four, right, is the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fool is is in the house of mirth. And mirth is probably best understood as like pleasure, joy, happiness. So he says, the wise are in the house of mourning. The fools are in the house of happiness. And this is what he's pointing out. He's saying, listen, my end goal in writing this is to make you wise. That his end goal is to make you wise. That, that throughout sort of all ancient wisdom literature, there's, there's always sort of two categories. There's the wise and the fool. And Koheleth in this text is saying, I don't want you to be a fool. I want you to be wise. I'm not talking about being happy. I'm talking about being wise. And so his point in these verses is that death and sorrow and suffering and hardship, that those things have more power to make us wise than good circumstances. That we grow more when things are hard than when things are good. And I think if you were to look back in your life, you probably recognize, yeah, that's probably true. Uh, the, the great philosopher C.S. Lewis uh, put it this way He says, Pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And so, this is what Gohealth is saying here he's saying, in your pain, in your suffering, in your hard times, those are the greatest opportunities for you to grow in wisdom. And so let me just tell you, as as a pastor, uh, I do a lot of weddings and funerals, right? Marry them and bury them, right? So I, I do a lot of that. Can I tell you, guess which ceremony has the more attentive audience? It's funerals, every time, without fail. Because there's something about being confronted with the harsh realities of life that God uses those times to grow us into wiser people. But let me be clear as I say that, because there's like a tendency I say that, and, and we kind of hear this wisdom from Health, and there's a tendency for us to sort of kind of treat that as sort of a, a trite saying that sort of undermines real suffering. And we kind of say, well, yeah, so suffering isn't so bad because you know every cloud has a silver lining and that sort of thing. It's not the case. Okay? For example, uh, the, the author John Green uh, wrote a great book several years ago uh, called The Fault in Our Stars. Anyone read it? All right, cool. Hey, no one else is embarrassed by their love of young adult fiction. Anyways, and, uh, and the, <laughs> uh, the, the book is about two teenagers who have terminal cancer uh, and they, they fall in love with each other. And uh, it's, it's really good. It was made into a movie, too, if you're not the reading type. Uh, but at any rate, they, they fall in love with each other, and there's this moment. It's the, it's the first time the girl goes over to the guy's house, and she notices that the, the, the guy's parents are really love sort of like those cliché, sentimental sayings, and they got them, like, hanging up all over their house. And she notices one in their living room, and it says this, uh, "'Without pain, how could we know joy?' And so she reads this saying, "'Without pain, how could we know joy?' And then the author, John Green, kind of gives us the insight into what she's thinking as she reads that. And so I just want to share it with you. She says, This is an old argument in the field of thinking about suffering. And its stupidity and lack of sophistication could be plumbed for centuries. But suffice it to say that the existence of broccoli does not in any way affect the taste of chocolate. (laughs) Now, I agree with her. That saying we grow in the midst of suffering does not make it okay, does not make it a good thing. We can call things bad. Grief can be real. What Koheleth is getting at here is that in the midst of our bad circumstances, God uses that to shape us into wiser people. It's just true. This is a theme throughout Scripture. In the New Testament, in Romans chapter 5, St. Paul says this, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And so here's the summary of this text. We face suffering wisely when we look to grow from it. We face suffering wisely when we look to grow from it. And so what about the other side of the coin? How do we face prosperity wisely? What does that look like? Well, look with me at verses 11 to 12 in our text. Says wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. All right. So verse eleven here he says wisdom is good with an inheritance. And it was funny, I was, as I was prepping for, for this message and I was studying on this text, I actually came across, there was actually a big debate about that verse, verse 11. Wisdom is good with an inheritance. And it all centers around the word with in Hebrew, uh, which is im. And I was going to go into that with you guys. Uh, and so I was like, I must, I, literally, I started writing it. And then I remembered, uh, when I was in college, I had a buddy write his senior seminar paper, his big final project, 35-page paper, on the, the definite article in Greek, uh, which is the word the. He wrote 35 pages on the word the, okay? And I want you guys to avoid that kind of suffering, all right? So, so we're just going to trust this translation and say it's, it's just fine. All right, if you're really curious about it, we can talk about it afterwards. But he says, so wisdom is good with an inheritance. In other words, he says, hey, if you receive an inheritance, you receive something good. Circumstances are playing out well in your favor, Quahalus says, you're going to want wisdom right there with you. And then he goes on in verse 12 and he says, hey, so when things are going well, you're going to want to treat wisdom the way you treat money. What does he mean by that? Let's think about it. He says, you want to treat wisdom the way you treat money when things are going well. So think about it. How how do you use money well? Well, you don't don't spend it all in one place, right? Because you know you're not going to have it forever. But also, uh, don't, don't hoard it away and be stingy. And so what he's saying is, use the good circumstances you have to apply the wisdom God has given you for good. And then always be looking to grow in wisdom. So let me just show you how that looks for me right now, okay? I was breaking it down for me personally. I was thinking about this. So uh, for me, circumstances are, are pretty good. Like our church, Acts Church Leander, uh, we've done pretty well. Like, we're not even three years old, and, and God has given us a lot of growth. He's given us a lot of fruit, and, and we, we, we've got good circumstances. We've got a good inheritance. And so what that means for me is this, that, that there are a lot of guys that are just starting out in the church planning game. Starting out in the church planning game. Uh, and they, they ask my advice for what to do. They say, hey, Gabe, you know, you guys, you haven't fallen apart yet, so, so what are you doing right? What's that look like? Now, when they ask for my advice, there's actually a danger there for me, Right? There's a danger because on, on the one hand, I can, I can spend it all in one place, if you will. And I can say, ah, the Gabe Casper church planting method, this is the way to do things. I know all, ignore all other wisdom. I've got it figured out, right? And I can just pour it all in one place. That's one side of danger. The other side of danger that I'm in is I can hoard it. And I can say, hey, I figured this out on my own, buddy. You figure it out on your own. All right? I don't want you knowing stuff. I want the glory for me. I want everyone to see how awesome I am. Right? Plus, you might take people from me. I'm so scared. Don't do that. Right? What's our text say? Our text says, in good circumstances, I need to treat wisdom like I treat money. And so I need to be generous with the wisdom I've gained these last few years. And I need to recognize humbly that I don't know everything and I need to keep growing. Okay? So when circumstances are going well for you, use that time to be generous with your wisdom and humbly seek to grow more. All right, so we see how to grow in wisdom in the midst of suffering. We see how to be generous with wisdom in the midst of good circumstances. Now, how does wisdom apply to morality? Well, look with me at verses 15 to 17. He writes, in my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? All right, so let's just walk through this real quick. If you go back to verse 15, Katie. Uh, verse 15, he's being intentionally provocative here. Uh, he says, In my vain life I've seen everything. A righteous man perishes and a wicked man prolongs his life. And this is, this is why he's being provocative. Because conventional wisdom, ancient conventional wisdom, we see this all throughout the Old Testament, and we see it in other ancient Near Eastern manuscripts, went something like this. This is conventional wisdom in the ancient world. Hey, if, if you do right, if you follow all the rules, you eat all your vegetables, you listen to your mom, Things are going to go well for you. Life's going to be good, and you're going to live a long time. But if you don't follow all the rules, you can do whatever you want, don't eat your vegetables, don't listen to mom, things are going to go poorly for you. You're going to die, it's going to be a mess. That was conventional wisdom in the ancient world. And in some ways, it's, it's just true, right? We see this thing all over the Old Testament. In particular, uh, the counterpart to Ecclesiastes is the book of Proverbs. And that's a lot of how Proverbs talks, that the, the way of the righteous flourishes, the way of the wicked perishes. And it is true to some degree, right? Like if, if you're, you treat people pretty well and you work an honest job, generally speaking, things are going to work out okay for you, right? But you treat people poorly and, you know, start slinging dope on the corner like, probably not going to end well for you, right? Like watch Breaking Bad. Spoiler alert, it doesn't end well, right? So, so like that's, that, that's kind of the point here. But what Koheleth is getting at in verse 15 is he's saying, listen, that may be generally true, but really that isn't always the case. And we've all seen this, right? You see the, the good guy who's doing good things and helping people and he's the one who gets the terrible illness and dies, right? And the bad guy who's not doing anything and is selfish and doing whatever he wants and hurting other people, he's the one who gets to keep on living. We see this happen. And that's what health is pointing out. And so what he's saying here is he's saying, don't base your morality, don't base your right or wrong choices based on whether or not you think it's going to work out in your favor. Don't choose right or wrong just for the sake of whether or not it's going to work out in your own favor because you don't know that. You don't know that it's going to. You know how things are going to work out. And so then we ask the question, all right, well, if we don't base our morality on that conventional wisdom, what do we base it on? Well, verse 16, I don't know if you guys caught it. It's kind of wild, right? He says, be not overly righteous. What's going on there? Aren't we supposed to be righteous? Do good things. Well, it says if he's anticipating that we're asking the question, what should we base our morality on? And he's anticipating the answer being, well, we should base our morality just on doing what's right because it's right. Don't do it whether or not you're going to get a reward. Just do it because it's right. Do the right thing because it's right. And he says, don't do that says don't do that it's going to destroy you why how does that work how does doing the right thing because it's right destroy you well let's think about it you do the right thing just because it's right it's going to take you about two seconds for that to turn into self-righteousness for that to turn into pride because the reality is none of us have it all together none of us is perfect We're all going to mess up. We're all going to sin. And so what's going to happen is is you may get one piece of morality really, really right. And you're going to insist that everyone else start falling in line with what you're doing. And then you become prideful and self-righteous and insufferable. And no one's going to want to hang out with you. Right? You ever spent time with a vegan? It's terrible. I'm kidding. kidding. I love my vegan friends. Okay? So... So then I say that, and and our temptation is to to swing the pendulum the other way. So he says, hey, don't be too righteous. Don't become self-righteous. And so our temptation is to swing the pendulum the other way and say, hey, verse 17, uh, Pastor Gabe said, no rules, baby. We can do whatever we want. Let's just satisfy whatever carnal desires we want. Let's just be selfish and do whatever it works. And Koelis is real quick to stop that. And he says, don't be overly wicked either, genius, right? So neither be a fool. The word fool there, literally most, like the best translation is probably stupid. So he says, don't be overly wicked. Don't be an idiot. And so what do we do? What do we do? How does wisdom influence our morality? Look with me at verse 18. It is good that you should take hold of this. And from that, withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Now, I love this verse. uh, Because what Koheleth does here is he says, embrace the tension. Embrace the tension. He says, it's good to take hold of this. Don't walk away from this. Now, what's the this he's talking about? The this he's talking about is recognizing our propensity to become self-righteous in our morality on the one hand and our propensity to become lax in our morality on the other hand. And he's saying, hey, don't fall to one side or the other on that. Sit in the middle of that. Grab hold of that tension. Just sit there. But if you're like me, you hear that and you're like, bro, there's got to be some relief from that tension. Like, like, there's got to be some solution for us to move forward, for wisdom to actually shape our morality. And there is. Second half of the verse. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. The one who fears God shall come out from both of them. And so you don't want to be self-righteous in your morality. What's he say? Fear God. You don't want to be selfish and a slave to your desires says, fear God. Now, last week we, we talked about, if you are here, we talked about how to, to fear God uh, is best understood as to stand in awe of God. Uh, to fear God is to, is to stand in awe of God. But here's the deal. There's no way to fear God. There's no way to stand in awe of God if you don't know God, if you don't actually walk into his presence. There's no way for that to happen. And can I tell you, friends, there is only one way to know God. And that's through his Son. That's through Jesus Christ. And see, what we see when Jesus was here and when he walked the earth is that he brought wisdom to any circumstance we would face. Now we see Jesus bring wisdom into suffering. There's a story I love where Jesus is, is walking with his disciples and they, they see a blind beggar on the street. And the disciples look at that beggar and they say to Jesus, they say, Jesus, you know, who sinned? This guy or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus says to them, guys, that, that isn't how suffering works. It wasn't because of his sin or his parents' sin, but it's so that you could see the glory of God that you could grow and that he could grow, and then Jesus heals the blind man. And then when Jesus walked this earth, he told us how to handle prosperity with great wisdom. There's this time when a, a rich young man ran up to him and said, hey, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. In other words, Jesus says, take all the good circumstances that you've been given and pass that on to others. And then come and continue to learn from me. And when Jesus was here, he showed us how wisdom shapes our moral choices. Uh, There's a time when when Jesus was was dining in the house of a a really religious guy, a prominent religious figure in their culture. And he's sitting there and a, a, a prostitute came in. And she started washing Jesus' feet with expensive ointment and with her hair. And the religious guy looked at Jesus and said, Hey man, if you were really moral, if you were really righteous, you'd have nothing to do with this sinful woman. And Jesus looks at him and says, Whoever is forgiven much, loves much. You see, you want moral wisdom. You first got to see that you need to be forgiven much. And that's going to get rid of any self-righteousness that's sitting inside of you. And then you got to see that from that you are made to love much. And that's going to shape you to turn from your selfish desires. Now, I say all this and someone says, hey, Gabe, well, that's that's all well and good, but that was Jesus, you know, way back then. How does that affect me now? How does that affect us now? Well, listen, the same Jesus that walked this earth and gave us wisdom and suffering and prosperity and morality is the same Jesus who died on the cross to make you right with God. And he's the same Jesus who rose again to offer you new life and eternity with him. And it's the same Jesus who is alive and active and real right now. And you can know him. You can know him. doesn't matter who you are. You can know him. And here's why. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. See, in Jesus, God chooses you. Like, no matter how far off you think you are, No matter how disinterested you might be in Jesus, God chooses you. And because of that, you turn to him. Christ can be your wisdom in all circumstances. So uh, today, this morning, at our next service, I mentioned uh, we're confirming uh, nine students that are going to sort of publicly declare their faith in Jesus. And, uh, and it's a, a pretty amazing moment. I want you guys to just understand what this means, that they're going to stand up here and they're publicly going to say, listen, God has chosen me in Jesus Christ, that my life is now bound to him, that he is my wisdom, he's my righteousness, he's my sanctification, he's my redemption. And my prayer this morning is that it wouldn't just be them that confirms their faith. And my prayer this morning is that each one of you here would confirm the truth that God in Jesus has grabbed hold of you. That God in Jesus has chosen you. And that he is your wisdom. And so from that place, may we live lives of wisdom regardless of our circumstances. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for my friends for this day. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for teaching us what it looks like to grow in suffering, to be generous in prosperity, to be loving in our morals. But Lord, most of all, I pray that we'd recognize that in Jesus, we've been chosen by you. In Jesus, we have a a wisdom beyond our own understanding. And for that, we give you thanks. May we trust in him this day. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at